Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, aka the Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are continuing our trek to episode 200. And tonight we are, as we promised, bringing out one of the big ones. Yes, sir. Sydney Portier in in the heat of the night. Yes. The Norman Jewison 60s film that is quite radical and quite good. Before we go there, as always, we like to touch on all the feedback that all of the missionaries are giving us on all of the social medias. We appreciate each and every one of you. Um, let's see. Oh, they've been, and, and the missionaries have been a buzzing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's uh, a lot going on. It's, there's a lot going on. A lot on going on in, <laughs> in Michelleville. Clan Michelle is quite busy. Yes. Uh, first of all, first of all, correct from the corrections um, department, Robert Monroe hit me up to let me know that it was actually Curtis Brown who started the Black Stuntsman um, Union. Not, okay. Not Jim Brown. Not Jim Brown. So um, that was my mistake. It's a big plantation. Yeah. The Brown Plantation was a big, almost as big as the Williams Plantation. <laughs> so. It's a lot of browns. A lot of browns. A lot of browns. Um, it, it's speaking of, speaking, of, and that was in regards to our review of the <coughs> split from yes. last week, which Mike Brody, um, actually it was not Mike Brody. I, I want to give justice to where where it is due. Yes, Mike Mike Brody said that uh, if you can get past Jim Brown's wooden performance, it's a great heist film. <sighs> You're bugging. I did not think his performance was what I, I don't. Yeah, I think he's Jim Brown. Yeah, don't get me wrong. We're not talking about you know. We're not talking about Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. Well, we talked about it. We I, I think he is part of that vein of actor. Mm-hmm. We I mean we said it. Lee Marvin, right? To a certain extent, Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. These are not actors known for their range. Right. They are known for their charisma. Right. And Parker is a character who is not an overly emotive character. Like, that's the character. Mm-hmm. So. The, uh. We, we don't really want to see Jim Brown in uh, Fences. <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't see Jim Brown in Fences. We don't. Though, according to Mike Brody, he could play the fence. <laughs> Unless, of course, he's playing <laughs> the fence itself. Like, he's, like, turned sideways and Troy opens. <laughs> like, he just opens Jim Brown <laughs> back and forth throughout the play. And the guy comes, like, his boy comes and says, sometimes you build a Jim Brown to keep your family in. <laughs> and sometimes you build a Jim Brown to keep your family out. And Jim Brown is just sideways holding on to some hinges. Like, Troy and his son get into a tussle, and he tells him, that's strike two. Don't strike out. And Jim Brown's just kind of standing there holding onto the It's like Troy holding on to the baby, giving the baby to his wife, talking about the baby didn't do it. And Jim Brown's just silently holding on, <laughs> to, holding the on. Holding on to the hinges because he's the actual fence. He's 
in every scene. He's amazing. He's in every scene as the actual Finn. He's absolutely amazing. Jim Brown in the role and, he was built for. And Jim Brown as the Finn's. And the Academy Award. For Best Supported Actor. In set design. In set design. Goes to Jim Brown. As the Finn's in August Wilson's Fences. <laughs> you know the funny thing? Jim Brown is what? Like, what is, like, what is he, 70 now? 70. Eight, seven, he's probably in his 80s. Jim Brown could whoop both of our asses. <laughs> like, this is all fun and games. Nobody let Jim Brown hear this. <laughs> he had that little koofy on. Even wearing that koofy for like 30 years, and everybody's scared to tell him that it looks stupid. <laughs> like, that's how you know Jim Brown is Jim Brown. He's been wearing that stupid koofy for 30 years, and no one has said, Mr. Brown, that looks ridiculous. Who the fuck is Vince? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Chase after me had me jumping out a window <laughs> trying to get away from him. <sighs> Why, yes, I am feeling a little better. <laughs> I was standing here right next to you, Troy. I have my dreams bottled up with yours. Jim Brown's just holding on to the hinges. <laughs> you said you didn't want to spend 20 minutes I know I know I, I didn't want to, we didn't say nothing about Jim Brown as the fence though I find that quite interesting oh god oh god oh god I'm done I'm done <sighs> okay uh, moving on moving on <laughs> It's like Brian Gumble. Remember Brian Gumble used to say moving on. On real sports, I used to love that. Moving on. Did he take off his glasses? And he take off it because he was finished talking about it. Appropriately enough. And I was like, that's an arrogant black. I love me an arrogant black man. I'm no longer interested in the subject. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Oh, God. <sighs> the biopics keep coming, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, did you see this, Vince, that in December, there's going to be a biopic called The Banker. It's I going to be did. Uh, I did see this. Which tells the true story of two African-American entrepreneurs who seek the thwart racial limitations of the 1950s, directed by George Nolfi and starring um, Anthony Mackie, <clears throat> Excuse me, Nia Long and Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Mackie and Jackson play Bernard Garrett and Joe Morris, who recruit working class white man Matt Steiner, played by Nicholas Holt, to pose as the head of their business empire while the two moguls act as janitor and chauffeur, um, all in their plot to buy banks and lend ostensibly white people's money to black families. Yeah. For uh, own, home ownership in California, 
And this is a uh, film. It's coming out. It's scheduled to come out on December 6th. The script for this movie was written 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah. I I actually, I read, I didn't read the story, but I saw like a little clip where they said how long they had been trying to get this made. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've watched the trailer. It actually looks, it looks good. It looks good. It looks fun. It looks fun. It looks fun. Uh, I really like Samuel Jackson at that mischievous speed. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> and I, I, I am a, a fan of Anthony Mackie, and, and I'm, people, and I'm a fan of Anthony Mackie, and of course, you know, Snee along. Well, so well, I'm contractually obligated to go see the film. Contractually obligated to support the work of Neil Long. <clears throat> no, so so that actually looks good, and it's 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 cool because it's a story that is a story that. You know, this is based on a true story. It's a I, story that I didn't was not aware I, I've of. I've never heard of this. This is the it, it's a banana story. Right. Although I have heard versions of okay. this story of black businessmen using white fronts mm-hmm. during this period and quietly like more recently than not. No, oh, I I would imagine. So, yeah, I'm sure this is not the first time someone's came up with this idea. Yeah. Um but in watching the trailer it made me think, you know what? Good on them for doing this story. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's cool to... There are time-honored tales of black black lore. You know, yeah. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and, and, and the name goes on and on. One which we'll, we'll touch on in a moment. Yeah. But it's nice to still pull these little stories right here, which, which are no less monumental, no less important that need to be told. Well, you know, the, I, I was reading an interview with um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, mm-hmm. and he was talking about his new novel, The right. Water Dancer, which is set during slavery. And someone asked him a version of, 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 of a question that comes up a lot. Like, why do we keep telling these stories set during slavery? And what Coates said was, while he understands people's apprehension about it seems like we're we're always doing stuff during this time period it's so many bananas insane stories that happen during this period mm-hmm. so that in a lot of ways these stories set and, and this is obviously not set during slavery but it's set during the 50s it's oh it's, it's one of these old-timey black movies right that i've very facetiously <clears throat> talked about for years i think the issue might be not so much we keep telling these stories from this time period is that we keep telling the exact same story. Right. That's the issue. When there's so many fascinating stories like this, mm-hmm. that these this is a period piece, but it's not the exact same period piece that we've seen versions of. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's very interesting. And it almost, and it's, Especially watching this film and and you know the set dressings of it and everything like that, it kind of takes you, took me back a little bit to uh, Devil in a Blue Dress, right? You know, which also evokes memories of a movie that is heralded as one of the greatest of all time, Chinatown, right? You know, and there are movies to be set in the fifties. We had a story to tell in this, you know, what is considered like you know the the great era. Right. You know, post World War Two. Right. You know, we still had some stories there. We um and and all of our stories weren't of you know fighting for civil rights. They were you know, 
quote unquote smaller battles like right one such as this or fighting in a different way like, different like way, it's not always manner. the the marching and the bus right. and and again but to to the first thing you said about how long that the script has been sitting here and how long it's taken to make this movie i think this also speaks to what we i mean it's the same conversation we have over and over and over again the gatekeepers Mm-hmm. The people who decide the type of stories that can be made, and the great thing about something like Apple TV, and and we're in this wild west period of streaming services, everyone is looking for content. Everyone is is you know there are all these different avenues that you can go, so that you have this like like you have this opportunity for us to see this movie. Um, the producer and editor, Joe Veritel, came across an early draft of the script some 20 years ago and in 2009 pitched it to director Nolfi and Mackey. It was almost impossible to make, the director George Malfi, Nolfi said, it's still very hard to make a film with African-American leads. And on top of that, tried to pitch a movie that's about banking and real estate. I know. The incredible story went largely untold until the film was produced with the tone of resulting congressional hearings on the men being very much, how dare you? How dare you think you can get away with this? We very much don't (laughs) want anyone else thinking they can do this. The only contemporaneous pieces of news coverage that was focused on the men rather than them getting caught was published in the African-American magazine Ebony. There's 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 no question in my mind that I believe that. Yeah. So um uh, I can't wait for that. It's gonna hit theaters on December sixth. Yeah. Theaters or is it gonna be on Apple TV? Well, according to when I looked at the, the trailer, uh oh yeah, you're no, no, I, I I'm right, I'm right. It's gonna be hitting theaters on December sixth, and then it will drop on Apple TV in January. Okay. So they're giving it a theatrical right, release so, first. So, which puts it in our wheelhouse. That's right. All right. There you go. Uh, continuing in the world of biopic news. Yes. L- Lifetime. Yes. Of all places. <laughs> yes. Announces the stars of the upcoming Salt and Pepper <laughs> biopic. <laughs> While all of the group members aren't on speaking terms right now. No, they are not. Lifetime is getting ready to produce a salt and pepper biopic. Because why not now? <sighs> you know the bad thing. Pay attention to this next sentence, Vince. Oh, boy. The three-hour film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you need 45 minutes for what a man. <laughs> You need 45 minutes for the making of the magnum opus, What a Man. The three-hour film <laughs> is still in production. Yes, yes. But the network has recently announced the leading cast. Okay. Gigi Townsend, known for her roles um, in, the, in, in The Cut. Okay. Everybody Hates Chris. Will star as Cheryl Salt James. And Layla Odom okay. of the Bobby DeBarge story and Undercover Brother 2 <laughs> will portray Sandra <laughs> Peppa Denton. Okay. Okay. 
You know, the bad thing is you this this is actually a pretty interesting story. Like I actually stopped paying attention once you said lifetime <laughs> more so than salt and pepper, because I think this would actually be a pretty interesting story if it was done correctly. Are you serious? Are you dead serious? Look, look, I'm I I like look, salt and pepper. Early, I had the posters look, on my wall. Early hip hop. Herbie Lovebug, you know I'm fascinated by Herbie Lovebug mm-hmm. and, and how he put together this little kind of like his hip little hop thing. pop empire. Yeah, yeah. Sexism in hip hop. They are one of the first groups, hip hop groups, to really go pop. I think it's a really interesting story it's a, here. It's an interesting story for maybe a very strong hour-long documentary. Okay. It's not, to me, you, it's you, not a You don't movie. want to see it dramatized. It certainly is not a three-hour Oh, opus. of course. Of course it's not a three-hour opus, but I think there's, I think there's drama in this. I mean... I think there's drama in there. I think... The only, the only reason that the Salt and Pepper biopic makes sense is because they did a biopic of... Michelle. And if you're going to do a biopic of Michelle, then of course you're going to do salt and pepper. I think we've talked about this before. I think these early hip hop acts, there's there's a lot of story there. There's maybe you, you you want to know the biopic I want to see? If they get the real deal, the real juice. What? The biopic I want to see, Aaliyah. Oh well, that's never gonna happen. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's the yeah, one yeah, I want to yeah, see. Yeah, Leah's never gonna happen. That's the An story. actual Aaliyah story is never. Well, it's a whole lot of people need to be dead mm-hmm. before we get the real look because it's a lot of dirty hands. Yeah, with Aaliyah. Yeah, that that's the one I want to see. Yeah, there you go. I mean. No disrespect to Salt and Pepper. No, no, no. I hear you. But yeah, the Aaliyah story is a whole different beast. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, but. Sure, why not? Why not? I'm happy that they're getting checks. Okay. You know, I like to see black people get checks. Now, continuing in the world of biopics. The world of biopics. We come to writer-director Cassie Lemons. Oh, boy. And actress Cynthia Arrivo. Oh, yeah. And Harriet. Boy, isn't this a hornet's nest. (laughs) Isn't this a hornet's nest? <laughs> I've had to back out slowly from several exchanges. Like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> reading a review from Shadow and Act. Oh, boy. It's no secret that Harriet has had problems from the beginning. From the first casting announcement of the film's star, Tony Award-winning actress Cynthia Revo, controversy has followed the film. While some critics were disappointed that the black British actress was chosen to play the African-American icon, more vocal critics using the hashtag Harriet Deserves Better Twitter hashtag Tag, honed in on Arrivo's many controversial tweets over the years that yes, negatively yes, referenced yeah. black Americans as the main reason why they felt Arrivo was the wrong choice. At the end of August, Arrivo co-signed with her Harriet 
co-star Janelle Monae's tweet that there should be a voter registration booth outside of Popeye's. Yes. Aimed yes. at presumably black Americans standing in long lines yes. for the new chicken sandwich. Because yes, we all know it's the chicken sandwiches that, is, that are keeping us in our condition. After swift blacklash, both Monet and Arivo apologized for their tweets. <clears throat> but now another, uh, another piece of news has happened. Uh, according to reading from IndieWire, their article by Tambay Obinson, Harriet, Fact versus Fiction. Fact versus Fiction. Of course I embellished. I'm a screenwriter. Writer-director Cassie Lemons drew on multiple historical sources for a biopic, but storytelling has never been a synonym for facts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently people are upset. Yeah. About the movie Harriet and some of the things that happened in Harriet. Right, right. And, 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 you know, let's just call it what specifically there is a character. There is a black slave catcher character. Yes. Who some people, because we haven't seen the film. No, we you haven't not. seen it, right? Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it. And apparently the, the black slave catcher character has proven to be quite controversial. Mm-hmm. Because he is, according to people who, who are criticizing it, he is, is sort of placed almost as... I don't want to say the main villain, but one of the most memorable villains. Right. And, and you know, people are upset about that. Yeah. Um, this character was played by Omar Dorsey. Let's just go ahead. Let's just put it all. Let's put it out there. So friend so, of the show, so, Omar so, Dorsey. So, so that yes. is the contrary. Friend, you know, Bruh. the show, our friend, Omar Dorsey. Yes. So, so this is controversy about the casting, controversy about the film itself, controversy about the character. This is the controversy. Yeah. Having not seen the film, I don't speak. I don't feel like I can speak super intelligently about this. Right. Right. Haven't seen the film. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. You know, one person's you know viewpoint on the depiction of it. It's a fictional character. Yeah. A fictionalized depiction of an actual of a person. Oh, of actual person. Yeah. Right. Which happens in almost every biopic. Yes. You know? Um it, it's it's one of the, the liberties of doing a biopic. Uh, yes. As Cassie Lemons actually wrote, uh, she firmly believes that it's impossible to operate as both a first rate screenwriter and a first rate historian right of course i embellished i'm a screenwriter i add it to the story because anybody that's a writer that approaches a real story has to embellish since tubman never learned to read or write details about her life come largely from first and secondhand accounts lemon's primary sources were Harriet Tubman biographies, including scenes in the life of Harriet Tubman, written in 1869 by Tubman's abolitionist friend Sarah Bradford, mm-hmm. written to raise money for Tubman and her cause. The book often embellished Tubman's stories to make them more thrilling and therefore marketable. Sure. Lemons also relied on Kate. Clifford Larson's 2004 Bound for the Promised Land, Harriet Tubman, Portrait of an American Hero, which uses a trove of documents and sources as well as genealogical data to paint a portrait of Tubman in her times. She also read academic papers on Tubman and the Underground Railroad and access first-hand accounts from abolitionists who were 
quote unquote, entertained by Tudman's kind of one woman show in her twilight years. Right. Lemons wanted to avoid, however, was an aspect of myth making that threatened to make Tubman more legend than human. After her death, Tubman, born Araminta Minty Rose, was mostly relegated to the ranks of children's literature, often pictured as an old stately woman drawn from formal photos that were taken near the end of her life. Those books really defanged her to make her more acceptable to American readers uh, because there's something quite terrifying about the image of a black woman carrying a rifle. Right. Lemon said. So um, she basically, you know, she she went to all the expected text to form this portrait of Harriet Tubman and her life at the time that the movie is set which i do believe doesn't cover her whole life fully it's kind of it, 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 the central part that it, it focuses on um i i want to see the movie and yeah yeah and i'm going to see the and movie and i'm with it and and look if there's a little bit of controversy then god bless it it didn't stop green book from winning an oscar um there was a lot of controversy with that uh, there was people, Spike Lee did a, a little massaging of the story for Black Klansmen, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I thought you were going to say Malcolm X. And, and, and yes, for yeah. Malcolm X, we know he injected him, him whole self in there, right, you know right. what I mean? Well, well which, right, but, right, but, but that it, was based on a, yeah, we talked about that. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly the same situation. There was, there was, um, and before... And, and, you know, there have been other directors who have done this before in in the movie Lincoln. It was done. You know, you, you, let's not even start with uh, J, the movie JFK. Sure. So back up. Let, let me just Gordinian nod it. I ride with black women. Mm-hmm. So I'm always riding with Cassie Lemons. Right. And, you know, I ride with my people. So I ride with Omar. Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm I'm going to see Harriet. I'm going to support Harriet, and I support Cassie Lemons, and I support Omar Dorsey, and you know, hopefully Cynthia Rebo has gotten herself right with with her um, diaspora commentary and 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 moving on. All right, I'm going to move on. I'm. Move I'm on. The, the, Personally, at least that one tweet that I'm seeing about the journal, journal with gentlemen. Look, I'm I, fine. Look, I'm not getting it's in the joke. mud. It's 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 been a pattern with her. If you were so inclined, but but like you said, look, Aaron Fry hit us up on mm-hmm. Twitter at Man of Harmony. Hey, Michelle Mission. Uh, they just announced on ABC that a new live broadcast of All in the Family. And Good Times is going to be happening on December 18th. Any ideas for a cast? Oh, for cast. I have no ideas. What? You don't have any ideas? You know, know this is my least favorite part of, of, of being, having like a movie podcast. Like casting things. Is my you, least, you don't like, like this is my least favorite. Do part. not like it. Like I, don't I like, love it. I don't you like listicles. <laughs> you don't. I don't like don't. casting. Like all this kind of stuff. 
and and I I mean frankly I think the whole thing is just creatively bankrupt. Like the whole endeavor. What do you mean? Which are you talking about? The, the recycling oh. of of this. Like when they did it live the first time, it was an interesting exercise. All in the family and Jefferson. All in the family. It was an interesting exercise. And I said, okay, well, that was an interesting exercise. And I watched it. And, and Woody Harrelson was kind of fun. And, and, and Marissa Tomei was okay. I, and it was nice seeing Jennifer Hudson sing the theme song. And But why, why are we doing this? Certainly, there's something else that we could be doing with these resources. Well, wait a minute. I, I mean, like it took 20 years to make the the banker movie script we we're just talking about, and and we're redoing Norman Lear scripts from 50 years ago. Well, one, they're not making it like a whole big series of it. They're doing a little special. Um, why not just do something fun? You getting up there? You're taking. Um, material that has been, you know, tried and true is already out there. You're repurposing it, reintroducing it to a, a, another audience. You're doing it for one night only. It's just this again, big dumb little special again because we we actually did it before. So let's do it again. So let's, let's let's do it again because why not? Because why not? Yeah, it's so fun. Certainly, we it's December 18th. You're doing it around Christmas. It certainly, it's nothing else we could be doing. Like I said, that's oh come on! There's there. look, there's always something else you could be doing. So there, you're always there's always going to be something like you like. Oh, why are they doing that uh, when they could be doing fine, this? Sure. But they're just doing this All for right. something fun. Hey, knock yourselves out with this. But no, I don't have any cast ideas about the Good Times cast, as opposed to the Jeffersons cast and the All in the Family cast. I have an idea. What's your idea? There's one idea, What's just one, one person. Idea? That's for who's Thelma. The one person for Thelma. For Thelma. Who's gonna play Thelma? She may be at this point, maybe aged out of it. Who who could possibly play Thelma? Google and Bathara. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen her do like comedy. So I will want to see her do have fun comedy. Yeah, like my first choice. Honestly, my first choice was Nia Long. <laughs> Nia Long with some Afro puffs. I just want to sit here for a minute with Nia Long with Afro puffs yes, in my exactly. head. Exactly. Um, but no, I wasn't going to say Nia Long. I was going to say Tiana Paris. That's actually not bad. I know. That's actually not bad. I mean, because you think about her in um, If Beale Street Could Talk. Visually, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Visually, that's not bad. That's the only thought I had. That's right. it. I don't care about oh, the rest. Sure. All right. I don't even actually Ain't we care. lucky we got them? Good times. All right. Now, last thing. We, um, you know, we're marching on to 200 episodes and I put a post out there asking the missionaries for ideas of what the, um, our specialty drink for our 200th episode should be. Yes. Our mixologist, Summer Willow, uh, wanted to get some ideas and the missionaries did not disappoint. I know they didn't. Damaron Jackson. Hey, what's up, Damir? Says, I don't know, but let's keep. Simple as simple, a vodka tonic with two limes. All right. I would hate that I have to hunt down some blood oranges and they're not in season. Mm. Rojo suggested. What's up, Ro? uh, 
Nigaroni. No. Oh. The name alone says it all. <laughs> all right. Uh, Steve Tozen. Hey, Steve. There's a drink apparently called Time Will Tell, T-H-Y-M-E. Okay. Uh, two ounces of bourbon. Okay. It's a good start. Uh, 0.5 ounces of freshly squeezed lemon juice, thyme, and 0.5 ounces of maple syrup. Oh. Mm, interesting. That, that sounds not what, what I'm going to be drinking. Um, Heat it up. It sounds almost like a hot toddy. Donald J. Ely. Hey, Donald. Dark and stormy. It's got a nice caramel color made with ginger beer and dark rum. Okay. Perfect for autumn, too. All right. Lomero favors. Hey, Lomero. Three fingers of whistle pig bourbon on the rocks. Oh. Strong and smooth. See, that's what I'm talking about. See, see I, those, I like those ingredients. <laughs> yeah. Bourbon. What do you bourbon want to mix with? And ice. Some ice. <laughs> what I'm talking about. Have you tasted... he said three fingers. Three fingers. Have you tasted uh, Whistle Pig bourbon? I have. It's not bad. I'm not It's not bad at all. So that's good? All right. Yeah, yeah. You say so. Oh, yeah. I'm not not a bourbon guy. No, no, no. No worries. Yeah. I'd stay on my vodka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like vodka. Talk about me all you want. Oh, I didn't say a word. (laughs) Not on air. (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, as we as we mentioned, we're marching on to 200. Our 200th episode is going to be happening on February 27th at World Cafe Live here in Philadelphia. Go to our website, MichelleMission.com, for all the information and details as we will be reviewing Shaft. Yes, we will. From the 70s, the original and the best and the only one, as far as I'm concerned. And that will be followed by a 70s soundtrack Soul Train Dance Party DJed by internationally known Scheme Richards. Tickets on sale right now. Check it out. Let's get into our review of the Heat of the Night. Heat of the Night. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. Hydrosulfide, benzidine, superoxide of hydrogen. 
copper powder, distilled water, calipers, and some toothpicks. Why won't anybody here tell me what's happened to it? Are you sure you're pregnant? Yes, I am pregnant. I can pull that fat cat down. I'm afraid you're a little late, Virgil. We already got the guilty man. May I examine this person? Yeah, you can look at him. Come on, let him look. He's left-handed, isn't he? that make him innocent. I got the motive which is money and the body which is death. You're holding the wrong man. Now don't you push me, boy. They call me Mr. Tibbs. What kind of people are you? The 1967 American mystery drama directed by Norman Jewison based on John Ball's 1965 novel of the same name and tells the story of Virgil Tibbs, a black police detective from Philadelphia, who becomes involved in a murder investigation in a small town in Mississippi. It stars Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger, produced by Walter Marish with a screenplay by Sterling Siliphant. The movie would go on to win five Academy Awards, including the 1967 Award for Best Picture and Rod Steiger for Best Actor. Hmm. This film, which is voted for a famous quote, it's number 16 on American Film Institute's 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes. Was Vince's selection for this stop on the Michaud mission? Vince, what say you of In the Heat of the Night? In the Heat of the Night, you, you can, in any, any supermarket paperback book of best of films, any listicle that you see, we were talking about listicles a little bit before. Mm-hmm. In the heat of the night, shows up. This this is is easily top twenty most iconic films in American history, and and even that, I'm being conservative. I think you could argue it's top ten. Mm-hmm. Like off the top of my head, I can't think of ten films more more iconic than in the heat of the night and its importance as a film and as as a cultural landmark is is bulletproof and i have no real interest in talking about that aspect of it as far as its importance i think here on the mission we look at films and i think as a film just as an actual technical achievement of film this 
this this is an amazing film. This is an amazing, amazing film. I think the DNA of this storyline is so, so, so radical for the time, and 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 so, so sort of trailblazing that you see the DNA of this story in lots and lots and lots of things and then certainly just here on on this show where whether we're talking about a soldier story 48 hours just this this black man in this environment who has to take control in the environment or navigate this environment and and it's just a great story about this Philadelphia detective who finds himself drawn into this murder mystery mm-hmm. here in this town. So just the storyline, when you think, uh, you always hesitate to say something like the first. I'm not aware of this storyline before in the heat of the night. Before 1967, this storyline of and certainly not a black character mm-hmm. like this, who is dropped in the middle of this environment. So just from that, you start. Norman Jewison is, 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 at, is at his best in this film when we're talking just scene to scene. The way he shoots exteriors, mm. the way he shoots um, conversations in enclosed spaces, the, the, a lot of this this film takes place <clears throat> at the police station. Yep, in very small rooms, mm-hmm. there are. He has a chance to display his directing prowess in different times of day. Whether we're talking a bright, oppressive southern sunlight, or whether we're talking a shadow infested cell. Like there's this wonderful scene with Virgil Tibbs in a cell with another character and and then he uses lighting and and shadows to great effect. The acting all around, all around you have wonderful actors in in little bits and pieces and and obviously we'll get to the main the the main um characters but I'm I'm always I was I was impre- you know I'm I'm impressed by by characters such as um Tim Scott who play Timothy Scott who plays the um one one of the criminals who who at one point is getting tagged with the murder yeah William Shabert as the mayor mm-hmm. is in one scene and William um. Shalart, uh, Shalart, sorry, is one of those these fantastic character actors all throughout Everywhere. the fifties and sixties and seventies in movies and television. He's in one scene, yep, as the mayor, and everything you need to know about him as this small town mayor, exactly, who's trying to hold this deal together with this factory is 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 amazing. This is our second week in a row with Warren Oates, mm-hmm. who plays a detective. And he he does a fantastic job as this small town detective who dumb as a bag of rocks. Well, he's not a detective, he's a cop. I'm sorry, he's a, a cop. cop. 
Dumb as a bag of rocks, but there's a charm about him. He's his fully realized character. Lee Grant plays the wife of the of of the of the factory owner who is murdered. Right. And there's this wonderful moment where obviously we'll get to Virgil Tibbs mm-hmm. because Virgil Tibbs is 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 this this premier tier detective. Mm-hmm. And he engages in police work throughout this film. And one of the things that he does is that he breaks it to Mrs. Colbert that her husband is dead. Yeah. And from from the, the viewpoint of 2019, we've seen versions of this scene in detective movies and in detective shows. And part of it is he wants to see how she reacts when she finds out her husband is. A, and she has this wonderful breakdown. This wonderful breakdown. And throughout the film, you can tell she's barely holding it together. Right. B. Richards, one scene as the woman, as the woman who does the local abortions. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. She's fantastic. So you have this remarkable storyline. You have this remarkable direction by Norman Jewison. You have this cast of supporting actors, characters who are, aren't even supporting actors, they're maybe in one scene. But at the center of this film is Sidney Portier as Virgil Tibbs. Mm-hmm. And Rod um <coughs> Steiger. Rod Steiger as Chief Gillespie. And this is a master class. This is a master class class of acting for my money in his long and storied and well-honored career this is Sidney Poitier's finest performance Sidney Poitier is never as good as he is as Virgil Tibbs Virgil Tibbs is is he's he's the superior human being hmm he is smarter than everyone in this in in this film. He is cleaner. He is the model of efficiency of movement. We've talked about this before. I just like watching Sidney Poitier move. Not only do I like watching Sidney Poitier move, I like watching Sidney Poitier not move. Right. There are moments where the stillness of Virgil Tibbs where he evaluates the situation. Just checking the room. He evaluates the people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he's always 15 steps ahead of everyone. Mm -hmm. He brings this knowledge of of police work to this town, to this situation. And it is, is, again, he's, he's operating on a whole different level than everyone. Right. But what I love about Virgil Tibbs, the character, is that he knows it. This is an arrogant son of a bitch. (laughs) He is arrogant. He has a chip on his shoulder. And the thing that makes him a character, not just something drawn out, there's a bit of cruelty to Virgil Tibbs. The way he treats the people around him. There's a moment early on where Virgil Tibbs talks about how much money he makes. And this is, you know, this is a small town police department. So it's pretty threadbare. 
But Virgil Tibbs at one point says that, you know, you can call my chief and, and we can clear this up. And if you need to, I can pay for the call. Mm-hmm. And there's a coldness in there when he says that. As mm-hmm. if you people are poor and I'm not and I have more resources than you do. There's a moment where he starts to um, basically do uh, um, autopsy. And it's, it's, you know, it's an ongoing theme where people treat him. I mean, it's 1967 small town. And, you know, there are all these, oh, well, I'm not going to help him. I'm not going to do this. And the glee, the small glee he has in his voice where he's showing how intelligent he is and he gives out these orders about what he needs. And then there's a moment where he rolls up his sleeves, hands his jacket very dismissively to one of the men who who moments ago said, I'm not going to help you. And he says, now, which one of you is going to assist me? And the thing that I love about this is that Rod Steiger's Chief Gillespie calls him on it. There are many iconic scenes in this film. Every, we all, you know, you talk about it, there's They call me Mr. Tibbs. You just talked about it. You know, he says, oh, that's a, Virgil's a fancy name for a nigger boy. Is that, what do they call him? And he says, oh, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Mm-hmm. There's, of course, a scene where the white man slaps him and yes. he immediately slaps him back. Yes. But my favorite scene is the two of them at the train station where Virgil is going to leave because he's had enough. And Chief Gillespie has to come and convince him to stay. And talking about the, the, the direction, it's a beautiful scene because mm. the camera pulls back. It's the two of them sitting on the bench. Again, Virgil is this picture of efficiency. He's all angles mm-hmm. sitting there with his legs crossed. And Chief Gillespie, Chief Gillespie strikes you as a man who probably played football in high school. Right. But high school was a long time ago. Long time ago. But he uses his physicality. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell he throws people against walls. Mm -hmm. And he kind of sits and his legs are wide open. And he kind of, and he goes through the motions first. He tries to be nice. And then he tries to be angry and says, you know, you can't leave. But then he says, but you know what? You're not going to leave because you want to stay here. Because you want to prove you're smarter than everybody in this town. And you want to prove that we need you. And he says all of this stuff that up to this point has been almost subtext. And Virgil just very quietly gets up and gets his suitcase and goes with him. And follows the police, uh, Chief Gillespie, to the car. And as smart and as pure and as superior as Virgil Tibbs is, Chief Gillespie, in a lot of ways, is his equal. Mm-hmm. And that's what elevates this as a film. Mm-hmm. These two characters embodied by these two great actors going back and forth with each other. And ultimately, in my mind, outside of the acclaim, outside of everything that we talk about within the heat of the night, this is a magnificent film. And the foundation is the performance of these two actors. Ditto. Well, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) (laughs) no, um, I agree with everything that you said. Um, Full stop. I, I just do. I agree with everything. This is a fantastic film. And what I, what I really appreciate about this movie 
above and beyond, like you like you mentioned, the importance and the significance that the film has taken on, you know, uh, over the years. What I appreciate about it is that it's a movie that still holds up because it's a smart crime mystery. There is a crime that has to be solved. There are clues that are slowly revealed across the bit of the movie in all of these short clustered scenes with two and three people in small and small confined areas, right? In amongst all of the body language that you're seeing from everybody, the subtext and sometimes, you know, blatant racism that is on the, on the screen, um, even through Virgil's bemusement of the town folk. I wouldn't say it's an abject cruelty. I would say he's very bemused by them um, because he is taken as, you know, the, the perpetrator of this crime, you know, simply because, as many black people can attest, because he's the black guy <laughs> in the town. Well, you know, if, if you've ever seen Casablanca, there's a famous line, round up the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. Here, Virgil Tibbs fits the usual suspects. <laughs> so it's got to be him. Right. And there's there's... There's something to be said, you know, every every black man, well, not every black man, but a lot of black men have gone have gone through this when you know you're innocent. So, you know, when the time comes and they come for you, you just be like, all right, I'm going to go because I know I didn't do it. And I'm just going to go through the whole whatever Michigan I got to go through mm-hmm. to get to the get to the end. But then there's another way. There's a. There's another point because the whole time you're going through that, you wish you didn't have to go through it. Right. Virgil Tibbs knows that ultimately he probably doesn't have to go through this. Right. <laughs> you know, when when uh, Warren Oates character, Sam, comes and picks him up at the train station, he's looking at him like, <laughs> are you talking to me? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't say it, but his right. face right? is all but... There must be somebody else here because <laughs> right. you are not talking to me. Right, right. You want me to get up and put my hand? All right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go through all the- So after that point, he's just bemused at all of this because he knows ultimately he's got the get the F out of here card in yes. his back pocket. Right. The second they go to it, it, this is all over. Yeah. And that's why he says, yes, you can call my police captain and I will pay for I it. I will pay for the call. <laughs> yeah. So it's not cruelty. It's just it's bemusement. Like, you know, like I see you sitting there with your ear to the air conditioner. Oh. Like you can hear the Freon. He's playing with them now. Oh, he's like a cat. He is with with, with the mouse. I love it. Yeah, I love it. But in between all of that, that's all in this film. There is still a very tight uh, story 
mystery that you are solving along with everyone else. Yeah. And that is the joy of this movie. You are putting the pieces together. Yeah. Along the way. There is, there is, um, Early on in this movie, because it doesn't it doesn't open with Sidney Poitier, it opens with Warren Oates, Sam, yeah. Sam oh, Wood's yeah. character. There's early on in this movie where he pulls upside outside this uh house late at night and just stares in because there's this this woman who likes to walk around naked in her in her home. Yes. And for all intents and purposes, this is just a throwaway scene to show to as a window into his character. Right. And in sort of small town. In small town, you know, you know. Who knew that that little scene would pay dividends down the line? In the heat of the night, knew. <laughs> exactly. So th- that's the smart thing about this movie. So, so that's what the joy of this movie for me. Right. I'm just sitting there like, oh my God, I'm just I'm I'm loving like the, the caper of it. You know, yeah. especially coming off of watching the split. I'm all into caper. Right, right, and now right. It's like right. this little crime thing. I'm like, right. ooh, this is good stuff, man. Um But then you go to, like you said, Rod Steiger, Sidney Poitier, two actors, one with with completely different styles. Rod Steiger is totally a method actor. Right. He all believes in like getting down deep and writing the deep backstory of who you are and all that type of stuff and and feeling every word. Sure. You know, it, it, it's a whole thing with this method acting. Sidney Poitier, Sidney Poitier is just a good actor. Yes. Give me the lines. What am I supposed to do? Where do I sit? Turn on the camera. Let's go. And I will do it pristinely. Pristinely. I will give you exactly what you want. Trust me. Yes. Um, so watching those two just fire at, at all their pistons at one another is just scintillating movie watching. Yeah. I'm I'm like, ooh, I'm mm, this is good. Yeah. This is really good stuff, man. Um But you're Sidney Poitier is bemused by Chief Gillespie. Chief Gillespie is, you know, he's turned off by Virgil Tibbs. But he's just like, but he's also, he, Gillespie has been rocked back because he's, 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 he's got race. He's racist. Oh, absolutely. He's got a, a prejudice in him. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so he's back on his heels a little bit, and Sidney Poitier is leaning in. But like all good rockers, Gillespie is just waiting to come back. Yes, he's wa- he's waiting to just come th- for his lean. Um, and it is, and it just keeps he's it, it's slow. It builds across the entire movie. You know, um, it starts with you know him calling his chief and his chief asking him like well Virgil why don't you just help them out you right know? he's like well he says you know you might as well help him out and then he you know appeals to his ego he's like I bet you've seen a lot of dead bodies yeah because I ain't never seen a dead body we got it you want to see our dead body right right oh yeah <laughs> you know? oh yeah so I mean it just starts there and it just continues on throughout the movie and it's just. It's just so it's so much fun. Yeah. It, it is so much fun to to watch. And you're right, that that scene at the train station between the two of them, as as iconic as those other scenes are, 
that scene could live as one of the best two-person scenes yeah. in movie history. Yeah. You know, especially with Dakota at the end with, yeah. with Sidney Poitier just yeah. walking right behind him um, with his briefcase. It's just, like, masterful. And Nor- Norman Jewison is so smart of a director to just get out of the way and just lock the cameras and, and, let, and let those two great actors just rock out right there um it's it really is cool there's another scene and there's a little bit of a small thing we talked about in the split where there's a scene where jim brown puts his hand out and julie harris character puts her her hand in there and he he brings her over to to him there's a scene in the autopsy where the film locks in on Sidney Poitier's hands. Yes. Surveying this white dead body. Yeah. And I thought that was really, I mean, there is storytelling right there. Yeah. There's, uh, there's, you know, iconography, you know, these black hands surveying this black dead, this white man, these black perfectly manicured manicured hands. hands. Yes. Because again, this is someone who is operating on a completely different strata. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And to be clear, he's in the room with a medical examiner. Mm -hmm. So this is someone who has a medical degree. Yeah. So this, but this is somebody in this small town and, and Sidney Poitier is from the big thriving metropolis of Philadelphia. That's right. That's so right. We're 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 two completely different people. And your job is to get all of the materials that I just listed because he lists this, all these things and and hold my coat. Right. Who's going to assist me? Right. And. Here's the thing, and this is where the amusement comes. Like, like you said, the cat playing a mouse. As he's doing that, and there's a story in that with the with his hands being close up, just surveying the, surveying this uh, this dead body and t- telling this white man's story. Especially, right. especially when he reaches up to his face and he starts feeling around his jaw and everything right. like that. And then he turns to the medical examiner's, like, you know, you want to feel you want to feel that jaw. Uh, if I'm right, you know, uh, it's he, he's been dead for a little bit longer than you've you right. said. And right. He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess you're right. <laughs> but of course, we won't know because, as I'm sure you know, we can't tell until we take the temperature of the brain, which is the clearest way to do, to find out how long a body's been dead. But of course, you know that. Oh, of course, of course. Oh my God, Sydney Portier. <laughs> I'm like Virgil like, Tibbs. Like, like, leave him alone. <laughs> right? Don't do him like that, Sid. Yeah. I mean, man, it, it's it's this is really good. And the other thing that I like about this movie is it plays fair with who these people are. Right. Because you talked about Lee Grant's character. Yeah. And Lee Grant doing, you know, good work in this movie as well. But there's another scene with her where she is with the mayor, uh, William Shallard's character, and Chief Gillespie. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're at the mayor's office, which in the small town means it's at his real estate office because he's, he's also the real estate of course. guy or whatever. Of course. 
And they're talking about, you know, the murder um, of her husband, who was one of the most important people in this. In this right, because he was going to build this factory build in this, this factory. town. Yeah. <clears throat> and she talks about how they are, they arrested the wrong person the other day. And she wants Virgil to stay on this case. Mm-hmm. You will do whatever it takes to, to stay on this case. You're sympathetic for this character. Her husband died. She's ob- in 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 the earlier scene with Virgil. She's obviously horribly distraught yeah. over it. So you are you are meant to feel sympathetic for her, and you're meant to feel like she's on your side, right? Because she wants Virgil on the case. Yet she is still a woman, a white woman in 1967 in this town. So when she speaks of Virgil, it is by using the n-word yes i still want the do not take that n-word cop off this case yeah oh yeah so you're almost like ooh, i'm with you but did you have to go there well that's real world that's 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 what's happening in those rooms where we're not in even the people that are for us still speak in those terms and i liked it i thought that that scene played fair with the world in which this movie was set. And the flip side of that, something that I just noticed for the first time after watching this for however many times for years, there are only two scenes with Virgil and black people. Mm -hmm. There's a quick moment where he's at a mechanic who's going to get a car for him, and then there's the, the scene at the end with B. Richards. Right. And in both scenes... I like the fact that even though Virgil is this big shot detective. Yeah, the status is way different. He understands the dynamic mm-hmm. of being a black man. Mm-hmm. Where he tells the 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 brother who's putting the car together from, oh, they're looking for somebody to basically a fall guy. And then he tells B. Richards when he's trying to tell convince her to help, talking about there's black people, Tom, in prison. Mm-hmm. And there's white people, Tom, in prison. That's right. So there's never a moment where, as you said, regardless of which quote unquote side we're on as the viewer, everyone in this film is well aware of how race works in 1967. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's, it's an incredible film. It's so it's an incredible film. So good. And um, we mentioned Norman Jewelson. One of my favorite things about Norman Jewelson, and and I always think about this in um, a soldier story. Mm-hmm. He is one of these directors that is really able to establish a sense of place. Yes. When you look at the production of this film, half of this film was shot in Illinois. And half of it was shot in some towns in Tennessee. But Sparta is a place. Right. This is an actual place. You can feel the dust. Mm-hmm. You can feel the heat. Again, in very quick strokes, very quick moves, you know the entire political dynamic of this town. Yeah. yeah. You know Chief Gillespie standing in this town. In uh, Endicott, which we haven't talked about the scene where 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 Endicott, who's the big businessman, he owns right. the huge cotton, which you know a little on the nose. Mm-hmm. He owns the big cotton mill. You know his standing when he slaps Virgil Tibbs, 
everything you know need to know about this town is in that slap. This is a man who completely expects subservience and these people to live and die at his whim. And for Virgil Tibbs to slap him back, as much as we talk, and it, look, it's a fantastic scene. And when you see it coming, it is electric every, every single time. Every time Endicott slaps Virgil Tibbs and Virgil Tibbs slaps him back, it is electric. I don't care how many times you see it. But in my mind, the truly affecting moment is the beat afterwards where everyone leaves and Endicott's in the room by himself and he starts to cry. Yeah. And he realizes that his world is dying. <clears throat> and and it, he realized not only that, the beat before that, he realized his world is dead. Yeah. It's dying the beat before that because Virgil has left the room. Chief Gillespie has left the room. Endicott is still there with his blacked servant. Right. Who witnessed right. the whole thing, which means that this will quickly get on the oh, newsletter yeah. Oh, yeah. of oh, the yeah. plantation. But talking about Virgil Tibbs as a policeman, there are little moments. Like there's a moment where where Endicott is 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 every bit the Southern gentleman. And if you'll notice, he's the only one that calls Virgil Mr. Tibbs mm -hmm. initially because it's this talking about bemusement. <laughs> right. You know, look at the Negro wants to sure you're Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> and and he's going through the pleasantries and would you all like something to drink? As many of us go places and hey, you want something to drink? You're like, no, 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 I'm good. And he says, and, and sure enough, Chief, Chief Gillespie goes, Oh no, I don't want anything to drink. And then Virgil says, You know what? I would like something to drink, something cool and something soft. But he's already beginning yeah. to unsettle him. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a black man and I'm telling you that I want something to drink, which even though your black servant's going to get it, I'm your guest. So now you have to treat me as a guest. Yes. And it's these moments. And I don't want tap. And I don't want tap. <laughs> But there are moments throughout in this film where you see the subtlety of the police work, which reflects how great this script is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like the scene where he is actually, you talked about, when he's in the jail cell. Yeah. He's in the jail cell wrongly for, for them, like, jerking him over. But while he's in there, he's going to do police work. He does. Look, he's good police He's a good cop, He's, man. He is, and he leans back in that cot, mm -hmm. and you realize this has turned into an interrogation. Yes, yes, and he and, and he plays it. Oh my God, it's so because he's he's he he's interrogates the guy that's in there with him, and he and the guy is he's against Virgil. Oh yeah, you know oh, yeah. he's like you know don't put this, 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 this black dude in there yeah, with me. Absolutely. But he didn't say black dude. Well, no, he didn't say black dude. <laughs> I'm trying to watch all the edit points. I, I know. Um, he says, yo, so he's, he's totally against it. But by the end of that scene, which is not a long scene. No, no. Virgil no. has turned him around. And he realized, oh, this black guy, he, that's my advocate. Yes. So that when you see them later, it's like, hey there, uh, 
Yeah, Virgil. Yeah. yeah. They all saw spoken. Virgil has flipped them. He's flipped them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and just by just being good police. Good police. That's all it is. Yeah. Good police. Yeah. Oh, such I mean, mm, it's such a good movie. And you're right. It is it is Sidney Poitier's probably his best performance. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen every Sydney Poitier film. Sure, but you've seen the I've big I've seen ones. enough. You've seen the big ones. You've seen the contenders. This is it. This yeah. is, he, he's locked in on it. Um, and you're right in that this is the DNA from which so many other movies are pulled. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting that you went to, um, I think you mentioned, did you mention Beverly Hills Cop? I said 48 hours. 48 hours. But Beverly Hills Cop, same yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm thinking Beverly same Hills thing. Cop. Same right? thing. And the difference is, is that in Sidney Poitier's portrayal, and it, mind you, these are two different movies with different tones, admittedly. Mm-hmm. But in his portrayal of being bemused at what's going on and realizing that he is the smartest person in the room, He also is at least uh um he's also is called on the carpet for for his arrogance. Absolutely. And has to admit to it um in order for this movie to to proceed and reach its natural conclusion. In movies like Beverly Hills Cop, again, admittedly, different tone. Right, different movie. But Eddie Murphy is the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. Bemused by all that is happening. And is never affected by no one, what No one on. ever takes his measure. No. Right. And it, I, I completely agree with you. And I, I 100% agree with you. And again, in my mind, that's what elevates this. Yeah. Yeah. Above pretty, pretty much, much every, everything, everything that came after. The character of Chief Gillespie has to in many ways be Virgil Tibbs equal. Right. There has to be someone that Virgil Tibbs, even if it's begrudgingly, has respect for. Right. And and you, you, I think you mentioned it the, the end the end of this film is beautiful. The end of this film is 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 a diamond of perfection mm-hmm. between these two characters where they are not friends. No, they do not like each other. These are two men who don't really emote. But when Chief Gillespie says, you know, okay, bye, and then Virgil says, bye, and then he turns, and then Chief Gillespie says, hey, Virgil, take care of yourself. You know what I mean? And that's it. Take care of yourself. You know what I mean? And Virgil, for the first time in the entire film, smiles just a little bit and says, yeah, I know what you mean. Everything is in that exchange. Yes. Everything is in that exchange. And you see from the beginning of that film to where they end up in that small exchange. Yeah. Cause these two men respect each other. And that, that exchange is a very subtle callback to the earlier scene when they're sitting in Chief Gillespie's home. Mm-hmm. And Virgil gets a window into 
the the man behind the badge. Right. And in just a few lines, they talk about how, you know, pull the string one way or another and Virgil could be heading for this same road. Right. And that's why his last line is like, you know what I mean. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. This was a hell of a movie. It's a hell of a movie. A hell of, again, all, look, take the importance, take all the, 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 the accolades, take, like, like put all of that aside. Yes. Folks. Yeah, because we're not even going to get, a, we're not even, I'm not even touching on, God bless Rod Steiger. Yeah. For winning the Academy Award. Sidney Poitier was not even nominated. He won the Golden Globe. Right. Was not even nominated. You know what it is. He won for Lily of the Fields. So they gave him. The, the year before or the year. Or, or, a couple or like years. The, yeah. yeah. And, and you couldn't do it twice. And I think Rod Steiger is best actor category. Like, I don't know who no, else No, I think up. they both They both are. Basically, they both should have been nominated. I think they both should have been nominated. Yeah. And, 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 and that is something that is only fairly recently has happened so it, it's not hard to imagine right. that maybe that's you know you're not going to nominate them both right 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 um but uh yeah and, and you you can't knock Rod Steiger cuz if this is Sidney Poitier's best role in a career of fantastic roles this is certainly Rod Steiger's best role in a career of maybe two or three right. good roles. Got you. So I'm not going to begrudge Rod Steiger yeah. getting his award. Yeah, I have no problem with Rod Steiger being nominated for Best Actor in this film. One last real quick I want to mention. Mm-hmm. It, it should go without saying. The score. Oh, come on, man. In the Heat of the Night. Oh, come on. Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones, Ray Charles on vocals. You know, one of the bad things about the television show is that I think it has sort of cheapened yeah. how we listen to it. Mm-hmm. But, oh, yeah. I'm, come on, man. Quincy Jones, 1967. Phew. Ray Charles on vocals. Mm. This, this, uh, look. Look. From top to bottom, this is premium Blue Ribbon Filmmaking. Yeah, burr. Who else would have scored it but Quincy Jones? A film of this caliber. That's right. That's yeah. right. So. All right, ladies. Lynn's phone is, is blowing up over there. Apparently, he's needed in surgery. <laughs> yes. So we'll have to be wrapping this up. Yes. Uh, so, Vince. Yes. Is In the Heat of the Night a black film? Oh, absolutely. One of the blackest of films. <laughs> I, mean, it re- I mean, it really is one of these defining films of the civil rights movement. Because it's during this moment where, like, white people discovered educated black people. Mm-hmm. So they just had all these versions of, what are we going to do with an educated black guy? Let's put him in a classroom, teach some kids. Let's have him solve a mystery. Let's have him date a white woman. Let's, let him teach a blonde girl about juice. That's not really that's not really the plot of Lilies of the Field. No, wait. Lilies of the Field is the one with the nuns. Yeah. This woman in with some nuns. The ones for the love of not the love of Ivy. What's the one with the blind girl? With Shirley uh 
Jackson. I don't even. Oh, know. come on! It's fantastic because he teaches her about juice. I don't. I have no idea what she's blind and she's a savage. And Sidney Portier <laughs> has a teacher about like napkins. Napkins. <laughs> it's it's oh come on, come you know what I'm talking about. I don't I'm not sure. You do know the movie I'm talking about where Sidney Portier plays Sidney Portier and the blind white girl plays a blind white girl who's not used to stuff. So Sidney Portier has a teacher about things. This is what we call a napkin. Oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Uh, not lilies of the field. A patch of blue. Oh yeah, a patch of blue. A patch of blue. Yeah. And it's uh, it's it's surely um. Uh, that would be that's not Elizabeth Hartman. Shirley, uh, Shelley, Shelley, not Shirley, Shelley, Shelley Winters. Plays the girl's mother or older oh, sister. Okay. And told her, you don't need no nothing about no napkins. We simple people. You out there, that colored boy teaching you about things. I've never seen the movie. It's a good movie. Like I'm I'm being facetious on. And the funny thing is, now now I want to watch a patch of blue. City Portier has a roommate, a brother, and the brother's role in the entire film, he's basically Lil Rel from Get Out. Oh, really? The whole film, he's telling Sidney Portier, you need to leave that blonde white girl alone. <laughs> I don't know where you didn't got in your head to be gallivanting throughout the 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 park. Does he show up at the end of the movie with like sirens? <laughs> right. <laughs> I actually forget how that movie ends. All I do remember, there's a moment where he brings all these different juices. This is peach juice. This is pineapple juice. And she's like, golly, I didn't know the juices come in different. She does not sound like that. She sounds exactly like that in a patch of blue. But in the heat of the night is, is, is this quintessential civil rights era black film. Outside of everything. So it's absolutely a black film. But more importantly, this is a cracking. This 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 is one of these films we, we say it uh, um, every now and then. This is one of the films that makes you love films. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you're a kid, like I think I love movies mm-hmm. after you watch this. Yeah. So not only is it a black film, but but if you've never seen In the Heat of the Night, Please, I implore you, go watch In the Heat of the Night. Great film. Yeah. I I concur. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we get on to what we're talking about next week, I invite you all to send all of your feedback to us via email at michaumission at gmail.com. Like and follow us on all the social medias at michaumission. Join the michaumission Facebook group where we have a lot of fun with all of our um, missionaries. the Michaud Mission is available as a podcast, as a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network, the Podglomerate Curated Podcast for your listening pleasure. We are also available in an edited form every Saturday afternoon on radio here in Philadelphia on WPPM 106.5 Philly Cam People Power Media here in the city of brotherly love. And you can wake up with the Michelle Mission every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University. Okie Fanoki Swamp. Next week, Vince. Yes. It's my turn. It is your turn. So. 
we've been having a lot of fun. We've had action. We've had drama. I felt like going into the holidays was a good time for us to be a little silly. Okay. To get a little, you know, comedic. Okay. And to return to an actor who has not been seen a lot here on the mission. But that just means that they're going to turn up a lot as we continue on. Okay. So we're going to go to that magic year of 1986. Okay. All right. And we are going to witness the directorial debut of one Laverne DeFazio, a.k.a. Penny Marshall. Interesting. As we watch... Whoopi Goldberg. Wow. Get her thing on in Jumpin' Jack Flash. Jumpin' Jack Flash is where we're going, huh? Yep. Interesting. What's the last time you saw Jumpin' Jack Flash? Wow. Probably 10, 15 years ago. I think I that recently though. Yeah. Yeah. I think I sat and watched it. It was on and somebody's like, oh, I love this movie. I was like, okay. Interesting. I have not seen Jumpin' Jack Flash probably since the 90s. So like right after it came out on video. Right. Like I'm I'm 100 percent sure I watched it on HBO. Yeah. I'm I didn't go to the movies. I right, right. That. Like Whoopi Goldberg apparently has some type of great deal with HBO. Her like her remember her, well, movie? her first movie her mo- first um like her big break was they filmed her one man show. Right, right, the, the one man show. H- but then when she started making movies, there were all there was always a Whoopi Goldberg movie on. Well, she was making movies. She was making movies. And HBO was the was, movie was the spot for movies. Okay. All right. Interesting. Looking forward to this. There you go. I did not know there was Penny Marshall's directorial debut. I didn't know either. Okay. I like Penny Marshall, who uh, sadly we lost uh, yeah, I think this year. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um. All right. Okay. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu, it's been a pleasure knowing you, I'll see you when it's time to meet again.